If you're new to Radius, this is all Radius Sunday. We do that about 10 times a year. It's a time where uh, we put all six, soon to be seven campuses on the same page with the same words. It's a chance for your campus pastor to lead some during the week and gives him a little bit of a break. We really like this. This is part of, uh, part of our strategy to reach the Midlands. I don't know if you know it, uh, but last Sunday night was what we call our 20th birthday party. Three times a year, we do this. We do all radius, and all the radius comes together. We do it at Advent, right near Christmas. We do what we call Pray May in May, and we set aside the month of May to pray, and we meet down at the amphitheater in Lexington, and all the campuses come together, and we spend some time to pray. And then we do a birthday party. A little cheesy, I know, but it's a way just to celebrate God's faithfulness to us through 20 years and, and really our partner's faithfulness to the effort for 20 years. So I can't really fully describe the night, but I will tell you that multiple people told me it was the best season of worship they've ever experienced at Radius Church. And I was standing off to the side, getting ready to say a few things, but people were whistling, hands were in the air. It was just this really amazing time of the people that are most invested at Radius worshiping. Sorry you missed it if you're a partner, but thankful that you were there if you, are, if you were able to be there. We told 20 stories, and as you saw in the video, they were represented by 20 red chairs. The original chairs at Radius Selection were red, and so we've set a red chair in every one of our auditoriums just to remind us that we were birthed out of something. Um, and those stories just were cool one after another after another, but there's this kind of back theme working when the chairs were set out, they were set out by 19 of our original uh, partners at Radius Church. And so as I'm sitting over on the side and I'm watching one after another after another, like, like originals, you probably didn't know it if you were there. They were the OGs, they were original folks that have been faithful for the full 20 years to, to this mission at Radius. It was, it was moving. The very last one was uh, my son. I think he was eight when we planted Radius in 2003, so really cool to see him grown and living out the mission statement. I'm glad I didn't actually witness it. I was looking away when he walked up because I might have boo-hooed. But hey, partners, thank you guys for all that you do. And you know, as we talked that night, we, um, we were overwhelmed together with what God has done over the course of 20 years. We're humbled by what he's done through us over the course of the 20 years, certainly those 20 folks that set out red chairs were, um, and all of us were. Couldn't help but think about each campus and the 20 folks, the originals at those campuses that, help us, that are helping establish it even now. It's going to be cool when your campus gets to 20 years old and you can tell the story of God's great faithfulness and hopefully much, much fruit will have come from that good work. If you missed it, we announced a seventh campus to launch in January. Uh, it'll be out in Pillion. Uh, Jacob Robinson, his wife, came up on stage, and he and Sindel uh, have a little crew that are ready to go out to uh, Pillion. We can't wait to see what's going to happen in Pillion. So you can be praying for them. And if you know somebody in Pillion, really want you to start pointing them that direction. What was overwhelming about the night was... Uh, is the opportunity really going forward. Looking back, it's humbling seeing what God's already done and looking forward, it's overwhelming. I don't know what the right word, he might maybe mind-blowing 
what the opportunities are going forward. Been told in the last few weeks that we have 5,000 folks come through a Radius Church on a given month in the year. That's, that's a lot of folks. That's a lot of influence. And so when we looked at that, we're just going, man, there is so much opportunity going forward to be a light in the Midlands. And so just so you know, Pillion's going to start. Man, Centerville needs to plant within the next 12 months. Lexington's looking to plant within the next 12 months. Saluda is praying about Newberry. There's already a small group over there. We need a couple planters. Maybe some of y'all need to join us and help us get this thing going. But at the end of it all, with all the opportunity and with, with that crazy amount of people around, it really started us to question a little bit about ourselves. A couple projects we wanted to do, and, and it uh, began to trouble us a little bit as to whether we're really ready for that or not. So we, for each of you that are partners, there's a letter in the mail. It's going to get to your house this week. It'll probably be the only real letter you get in the mail all month. I wrote it, but it's really from us partners to us partners. Like it's, it's what we said we were about. It's what we committed together to do. And it reminds us of what it'll look like to be committed to that end. The question we've had to ask as elders, as campus pastors around the table, is are we mature enough for this next step? Maybe the word I want to use most today is are we committed enough? One of the questions that's come to light is, are people talking more about the radius R out there than they are about Jesus? Have we become more consumed with our brand of all things, which we could have never imagined when we started this church, than we are with Jesus? Are we more excited about the vision? Are we more excited about the preachers? Is there anything that we're more excited about than Jesus? And if, the, if that's the truth, then... Man, we really want to pause this thing and get us realigned with Jesus being preeminent. And so in a variety of ways, we tried to check our health before we talk about doing anything else. We did that at a variety of tables. And I, I uh, want to give you a message today that I really learned a bunch from Tim Keller, took a bunch of his notes on it, was inspired by watching a a documentary on the Revolutionary War and the commitment that the, our original forefathers had toward that cause, which doesn't even compare to our cause, the cause of Christ. Let me pray and we'll chat and talk through a passage of Scripture. Lord, you've been bugging me. You've been bothering the elders of this church, you've been bothering the campus pastors of this church, the uh, leaders of our church. And we as partners are bothered a bit by our own commitment to you. So as I pray, I pray across all the Radius campuses that you would move on us this morning. That you remind us who you are and you would uh, reach into us and remind us that our identity is in you. So I pray that you'd speak with power beyond anything that I could ever produce on a page or out of my mouth. I trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
a question I want you to ask and just ask honestly this morning is, are you committed to Jesus? Or are you afraid to commit? And then I want to ask the question, why are you afraid to commit? I imagine uh, there was a great deal of football taken in yesterday. And one of the great things to watch if you're uh, an offensive fan is to watch the quarterback try to manipulate the defense. And what he's really trying to do often is get the linebackers and the safeties to commit. He does it with his eyes. He does it with play action pass. He does, they do it with movement. They want the linebackers to either commit to stop the run or retreat to stop the pass, and they want to do the opposite. It gives them the best opportunity. Whenever you see a group of linebackers and or safeties overcommit, at times they just get torched by a really good quarterback. Nonetheless, that linebacker has just split seconds to commit. And if he doesn't commit, if he freezes, he loses either way. He's got to make a decision. He's got to make it in a split second. And he's got to move his weight from one foot to the other. He has to go. He can't sit still and wait. He's in this position and he's got to either go or he's got to retreat. He's got to do one or the other. He's got to commit or nothing good happens. And I would argue this morning, nothing good happens, period, if you don't commit. And Jesus really doesn't offer you a sample size. He uh, doesn't have a trial period. He demands commitment right out the gate. He asks you to commit to him. He wants you to shift your weight toward him. And when you shift your weight, just like those linebackers or safeties, once you shift it, it makes you vulnerable, which is why often we as a people, we're hesitant to shift. And some of us are frozen in our place. And we're getting torched by the enemy. I heard a story told uh, this week by Tim Keller of uh, a guy who went to adopt a child. He was looking for an 11, 12, 13-year-old boy. And his question, which was bold uh, at, at the orphanage, was whether the boys were willing to obey. So he asked one boy if he was willing to obey. And, and the kid honestly said to him, no, I'm not willing to obey. And so the prospective father asked the uh, second kid, if he was willing to obey, and the second kid said, yes, I'll obey. Now, all of us know, like, like just what they say doesn't mean a ton. Child num number one may be more obedient than child number two, even though he was, quote, honest and said, no, I won't always obey. But the father chose the second child because he abdicated his authority. In reality, the, the first child was saying, I reserve the right to choose when I obey. And Jesus, when he looks at you and I, he wants you to give up that right. He wants you to say, I will obey. <laughs> I know you and you know me and you know we don't obey all the time. We, we come up short all the time, but there's this healthy measure that we can take with our mouth and with our mind and heart and state out loud, I will obey. I will follow your commands, Jesus. I am committed to you. I heard somebody say, you can't say, come in, Jesus, but stay out, Lord. You can't, you can't welcome in the salvation that Jesus offers and not offer him your allegiance and commit to him, which I think is a massive question for us at Radius today. Those 5,000 people, I don't know who are here today, but I know that he wants us to commit. 
and he really doesn't accept another answer. Story in John, it's a cool story. John chapter 12, um, verses 1 through 8, I'll read them to you. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, a man who was raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared for Jesus' honor, and Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate at, ate at the table with him. I love this picture. You imagine Martha cooking away, and Lazarus sitting at the table with Jesus, and the disciples are around. John's writing this, so he's, he's taking it down from memory. But you can just imagine disciples, like, cutting their eyes to Lazarus. Did you hear that? There's a dude at the table who just got raised from the dead not too long ago. I, got, I can't imagine keep cutting their eyes to Lazarus and flipping their eyes over to Jesus and back to Lazarus. Is he really alive? Did that really happen? Do I remember that right? And back to Jesus had to be kind of a hilarious meal for Jesus. as He's watching the disciples process the miracle that has already transpired. And then Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. I don't think you're going to see that anytime at Belk's, right? Like you're not going to see the essence of nard. It rhymes with lard. It just, just doesn't really work. But evidently it was super expensive perfume. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who is soon to betray him, said, the perfume was worth your, a year's wages Back in most translations, it says 300 denarii, which the NLT takes uh, the, uh, they make a way to explain how it would work in the economy. It's a whole year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. John, tell us how you really feel about Judas, right? Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What an interesting little story. It's a dinner going on. Mary breaks in and she pours this costly perfume over Jesus' feet. And it just bothers Judas to no end. And then Jesus puts Judas in his place. Just want you to take a couple little thoughts from this story. Real quick, there's evidence that Mary is committed to Jesus, right? Like she takes this perfume and pours it on his feet publicly, and it creates this radius, this radius of fragrance. Like the whole room is filled with the smell. Everybody who was there had to deal with it. They saw her action. They saw her wipe his feet with her hair, which would have been dramatic, but the smell just dominated the room. It's a beautiful picture of commitment. Man, three years into Radius life, there's actually a couple sitting down at Radius Southside. They were here at the very beginning of Radius and uh, they showed up at my door at 10 p.m. Radius, Lexington, had decided to buy a building for Radius Greenville, even though Radius Lexington didn't have a building of his own. We were meeting in Midway and we needed $50,000 as a down payment for a building that would eventually uh, be a great light, particularly uh, for the Frazee Center, which is after school program and for Radius Greenville. We just got the opportunity. And so we tried to raise $50,000. There's only like 70 or 80 of us present. And this young couple that were newlyweds, they show up at my door and they hand me a $1,000 check. 
and they say 10 o'clock at night, right? That, that tells you their age. They're probably 25. They're, they're brand new married. And I said, man, God really impressed on us that we want to have a part of what he's doing in Greenville. But what I knew already was they'd already given a significant amount of money toward that thing. And I was, I was just humbled. I wanted to turn them away. I wanted to say, man, you guys are too young. Why don't y'all figure, let somebody else take care of this. But there was something inside of me, and it really was experience. I've had the experience of the joy of, of being a part of something that God's doing and sacrificing to be a part of it. That, that personal experience made me excited for them, but then also the knowledge of who Jesus is, that he's worthy of their sacrifice. This lady, Mary, makes a crazy sacrifice right there in front of all the people. And like this couple standing on my front porch, it just created this fragrance that you could not deny. Cheryl and I soaked in that fragrance all evening after they made that gift at our home. The other thing that happens, it happens really quick. She impacts her radius with the fragrance and very quickly Judas Iscariot, what does he say? The perfume was worth more than a year's wages for goodness sakes. What is she doing? She's wasting money. She's pouring something over your feet that we could have leveraged for something else. Forget the fact that he was going to steal some of it, right? Like she just doesn't get it, which is always true when we're committed. Folks around us uh, push back. Our commitment makes no sense to them. It seems like a bad use of money, a bad use of time, a bad use of our career, (laughs) Radius Lexington this morning, Chris Seabee sitting over there. He quit a job and took half his pay to help land Radius Lexington and lead it. Brian Kirkland down there at uh, Radius Southside did the same thing. They both took a job here at Radius, lost half their salary, but did it with joy because they saw the prospects of who this could be. One thing Seabee says all the time that he and Courtney, when they're sitting on the front porch rocking in the rocking chairs, which I assume they'll do someday, uh, they'll be talking about this. Brian and Trisha will be doing the same. It is super hard for this world around us to understand um, the Holy Spirit stirring inside of us, making us passionate for the bride of Christ, the church, and passionate for a world that does not want to hear, and yet we want them to know the good news. So they're going to push back against those who are committed. It won't make sense. Every day my alarm goes off at 10.02, I'm praying for workers for the harvest because there's so much opportunity in the Midlands right now. We need some more Brian Kirklands and Chris Seabees to decide, hey, this is the most important thing I need to do. God, the Lord needs to call you to it. There's so much to do. It's certainly worth taking that plunge of commitment. Other thing that happens in the passage is uh, Jesus takes her back, right? She's committed to me, he says. As a matter of fact, he says it more boldly than that. It comes off more like, and this is all about me and my kingdom and my work. What she's doing right now makes perfect sense. The sacrifice and the commitment, it makes perfect sense. There's no prosperity gospel in that, right? She pours out a year's wages. (laughs) I don't know about you, but she has to have thought about this and planned for a long time to save up that kind of cash. She pours out a year's wages on his feet, and Jesus says every bit of that was worth it. But he doesn't promise anything material in return. 
He doesn't say she's going to get something great. He doesn't, in a legalistic way, that's what she should have done because she has to do it. He basically affirms the fact that she wanted to do it and that the joy that she's receiving from being generous to him is all worth it. And not only that, but she gets who I am, he says. And she gets what I'm doing. In the passage, he actually says that uh, she did this in preparation for my burial. What a moment that Mary got to participate in. We read about her in the book of John. She's right in the middle of preparing Jesus for his death, burial, and resurrection. She was committed. I just need you to ask this question again in your seat. Are you committed to Jesus? Matthew 13, Jesus tells a little story. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. I'm here to tell you as a representative of Jesus, he is worth all that you have. I mean, all your influence, all your cash, all of everything. He's worth you yourself. In this passage, he says that the guy in his joy went and sold all that he had to buy that field. Verse 45, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found the one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and he bought it. When he saw that perfect pearl, the one that he's been looking for his whole life, when he saw it, he sold everything else that he had and he bought it. The Puritans um, who were and are great Christians over the course of, 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 of history, they had a little saying they would say to one another back in the day, have you bought the pearl? They would uh, remind each other of this little simple passage. It would be worth asking this in your small group in the next couple of weeks. It'd be worth asking this to a friend that knows Jesus. Have you bought the pearl? Like, because if you bought the pearl, the perfect one, the one that's overwhelming, the one that's worth selling everything to get, it changes how you live. It makes you committed. It forces you to move your weight on to another foot completely in followership of Jesus. Skip a few verses and come toward the end of uh, John chapter 12. And Jesus is, a, is, is addressing the disciples, and he says, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I'll tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. What's he talking about? He's talking about his own death. He's about to die on the cross. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again, and it's going to produce great fruit. If you know Jesus, you are an answer to this very verse. Verse 25, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care for nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. It's this powerful verse about commitment. He's saying he's willing to die for the cause and he expects those who are committed to him to also be willing to die for the cause. I mean, you'd have to summarize by saying commitment means all the way to the death. Watching this documentary on the revolutionary world, it's just amazing how 
the men and women moved from being connected to the cause of our independence as a nation to being willing to die for it. And the switch flipped pretty quick when the first uh, death on our side happened. Right when the first American died, the switch began to flip and they were willing to die for the cause. And you and I, I mean, we've already seen the first death. It was Jesus. He died as a as one as our sacrifice, but also as an example for how we're supposed to die to ourselves for his cause. Romans 12, 1, if you know it, it's an old school verse. I'm going to read it out in King James because that's how I know it. And I love just saying beseech. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And check out, this is the line I wanted you to hear, which is your reasonable service. I don't know if you know Jesus yet, but if you do, it is just simply your reasonable service to lay your life down for him. You're going, I'd die for Jesus. If, if somebody asked me, I'd die, I'd be a martyr for Jesus. But the question is, are we, are we dying daily for Jesus? Are we making him first daily? I wrote down, are, are we willing to do whatever he commands? Are we willing to abdicate our authority and do whatever he commands? Are we willing to give in to Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Am I willing to thank God for whatever happens after I do what he commands? Kind of makes us fearless. As I talk, I fear that many of us sit in a room and we've heard this talk before. And uh, I don't know. We're just trying to let it slide by. So we're trying to get small, let it get biased so that we don't have to be accountable for the demands of Jesus. Jim Elliott who died at 28 as a missionary, as a martyr. Uh, you look around your room and look at the 28-year-old, one who's got a family and loves Jesus. Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let it hit you. This question of commitment. Let it hit you. Jim Elliott says, let me say, say it again, let me say it again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's to move all of us. 5,000 people at a radius in a month. Are we committed to Jesus? I want to carefully stereotype you into three types of people at radius. It's 15 to 1,000 folks that we built this, Right? You're committed. You've been committed. There's 1,023 partners. Partners are getting a letter in the mail this week. It's reminding them of what they committed to. And quite honestly, as they go through that letter, they'll decide whether to opt in or opt out to that commitment. And we're praying that they all opt in and they keep that commitment. There's about 500 of y'all in that 1,500 that are sitting in one of our campuses, and you know right now you should have partnered. Like, you believe in what we're doing. You just haven't been willing to commit. You just haven't been willing to cross over and commit. And while I've been talking this whole time, you're like, I should have done it. I should have done it. Well, today, I'm, I mean, 500 of you, you know, right on the card, today, I want to be a partner. I'm willing to commit. 
I'm willing to commit to this cause for Christ in the Midlands. There's 1,500 more of you that, man, you're the ones that we live for. The partners, you're the ones that we live for. You're here trying to figure it out. You pop in and out and you're trying to figure out whether this thing we call the good news of the gospel is true. You got these questions running through your mind. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a series called Born This Way, which is absolutely for you as we talk through what the Bible actually says about sexuality. It'll be It'll be crazy the next five or six weeks. But but man, it's who we live for. We love it that you're here. We love it that you're searching. Some of you are D church. You grew up in church. But when I just read that story about Lazarus, you don't know who he is. Well, you're the ones this church is for. Thank you for coming. Keep coming. That's what we're doing. That's who the first fifteen hundred. That's who we're here for. And then we got about two thousand people. You're like right in the middle. You kind of like that linebacker who can't commit either direction. You froze. I don't know what froze you. It could be some pain in the past with a church. It could be that you're just a taker. Revelations 3 would call you lukewarm. And it has some really hard words for you. God actually says that he would spew you out of his mouth because you can't commit. So after praying a bunch about what to say today, and if you've been here three years and you're in that middle group, man, we need seats. The Lord's bringing us folks that are hungry, they're interested, that are trying to figure out Jesus or church in a healthy setting, and you continue to sit here without committing. It just, there's another place that wants you to sit there. We need seats. We have this amazing opportunity for us, and we really don't want to build any more buildings for more people that are lukewarm. That probably sounds a little harsh. I don't mean it to be harsh, but I do mean it to be direct. I'm not just saying that. It's actually what we want. We want you to decide to either commit or help us by giving up that seat. This all came out of us wrestling with whether and how to improve a couple of our buildings. We were looking at the dollars and asking questions and then asked questions about whether our partners are generous and whether our people are generous. And then we started asking questions about whether we're willing to make disciples or not. And we just thought, man, we do not want to build anything if we're just opening up seats for people who are unwilling to commit. Man, for the 1,500 that are searching... We do whatever we can. We want a spot for you every Sunday. For those of y'all that are committed, we together, us, and this is what we've been about since the beginning. Except when we looked at Radius, man, way less than 20% of us pay the bills and way less than 20% of us are willing to make one disciple. That's got to change. We really want it to change today. If that means we decrease the number of people that are showing up on the weekend, so be it. It's, it's, it's this really important moment for you to consider whether you're going to cross over that middle group, that 2,000. It's time to cross over. If you've never joined a group, today's the day to cross over and join a group. If you've just been unwilling to partner because you're afraid of what that might mean to you, today's the day to make a decision. You're just checking us out for a little bit. Keep checking us out. 
But this is a day for Radius Church, all of us, to look in the mirror hard and chart our course to meet crazy demands and opportunities in the Midlands for folks to meet Jesus. Let's partner. Let's partner together. Next week, we'll start a series we'll call Born This Way. It'll be provocative. We'll start simply by going to Genesis. And you're going to have to ask the question, am I committed to the scriptures? Do I believe what the Bible says? And we're going to walk from creation uh, right into the middle of all the controversy in our country. Right. There will be nothing about this series that leans politically. This will be simply what the king says about how he designed mankind. And we'll break it down. We'll have a bunch of fun on some of those Sundays and some of them will be really heavy. So we look forward to seeing you then. Let me pray. Just want you to speak, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I want you to do work. Work on me. Work on our leaders. Work on our partners. Work on this big group of people that are just frozen and can't commit to anything. Explain the gospel to this other group of folks that are just in here experimenting, trying to figure it out. Lord, we we desperately need you to move. I know even as I read these verses, I want to value that pearl. I want to value the cross and you, Jesus, like the story tells of the man who who, who valued that perfect pearl. I want to worship like that. So please move me that direction. Move all of our campus pastors that direction. Move all of us that way, Lord. We want to be consumed with who you are. Then we want our hands and feet to move out of love. Almost in a way that's mind-blowing to the folks around us so that the fragrance of our sacrifice would be taken in in our entire radius. They'd have to just deal with how great you are as we sacrifice on your behalf. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, and being patient with us. Meet with us right now. We pray in your name. Amen.